We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We finally got the one-on-one in the FFPC main event. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretchen from my Substack at bengretchen.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. And Sean, we've already gotten underway here. Kyle Pitts almost made it back in the second round. We don't typically see that. He goes at the 209 to the chase drafter. I have a couple chase Pitts teams myself, and that's a, a very nice start. We are already heading back to the two-three turn. We'll recap the first couple of rounds, but we started with the one-on-one. What are you thinking here as we approach the two-three turning and, and get right off in this podcast with some draft picks? Well, Debo obviously is falling everywhere now in the draft that I did with Colin Kelly yesterday. We had the one-zero-seven, which obviously means we also have the three-zero-seven, and Debo got to the three-zero-six, one pick away from us. He would be an option. Tyreek Hill, you and I talked about in our most recent zero RB pod, and I was making a little bit of a pitch for him as a riser. He would be an option. I mean, T Higgins and AJ Brown are the brand picks and I'm always on board with them. Where are you leading here? I think I definitely want to get AJ Brown. I I'm fully comfortable with the other three, but I haven't got enough Brown. And I know you marked him as a priority. You came around on him more recently, but you've been excited and we've been talking lately about him i don't have enough exposure to him in the main so i would love to grab him i'll leave the debo higgins tyreek debate up to you part of the reason we took mccaffrey is we already had uh, a jonathan taylor team together i will let you know we do have debo on that team at 210 so i don't know if you want to if you know double down on that or diversify off that or if that doesn't even matter but that is a consideration i'm totally comfortable with those guys I haven't been as in on uh, as in on Tyreek Hill. That that team we went Debo DJ Moore at the two three turn. So Higgins, Debo, Tyreek, all very comfortable picks for me. I, I mean, I'm fine with Tyreek if that's where you want to go. I, I would be fine with Debo too. It's just that's the guy that I don't feel like I need to add to any builds necessarily. With my you already have plenty of him. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking uh, Colin and I got T Higgins at the three oh seven yesterday so do have some exposure to some of those guys but higgins is the player where if things break the right way and i mean that would be unfortunate because in some ways that would be things breaking the wrong way for jamar chase i don't know this is an awfully good price on tyreek hill i think we better take the the clear superstar who does appear to be the number one there we've talked a lot about Jalen Waddle, how much we like the potential for him to blow up this season. And there shouldn't be nearly as much of a gap between the two ADPs as there is. However, some of the developments of the last two weeks have neutralized that argument to a pretty decent extent. Hill has looked very good. He's been the talk of Dolphins camp really in a, a fairly similar way to you know what Allen Robinson has been doing over with the Rams. Meanwhile, Waddle has missed a big chunk of time with injury now. It sounds like he's going to be ready and that a lot of the missed time is simply being very careful so that he's ready for week one. And yet all of those little situations like that do create a dynamic where there's that risk of not getting off to the fast start. And uh, the fantasy football season, Ben, is frankly not that long. We want to make sure 
that we do score a lot of points early and keep these potential super teams. And we're drafting to try and win the whole thing. You have to win your league first, at least from the perspective of being in the position to advance directly into the big tournament. I think the Tyreek Hill is a pick that allows us to do both things, to build the super team and to get off to that fast start. Yeah, I really like that. He's a guy that he's been tough all offseason. I I've been right with you in, in preferring Waddle. We have gotten Waddle. Uh, we got Waddle in that that Taylor 103 team. I was just referencing late in the fourth. He has been sliding some. I have quite a bit of exposure to Waddle in this format now. No shares of Hill until now. Uh, plenty of Debo, plenty of Higgins. So for me, from like a portfolio perspective, I'm really glad to get a, a piece of Hill for the reasons you said. It, it's been shifting that way. And Hill's not a guy that I was necessarily out on right away. It's just a price-related thing. One of the things that I've talked about is I think, especially with the amount of capital they gave up to go get him, sign him to a big deal, um, they're definitely going to have designs for him. And, and as far as, you know, we talk about the next Debo and all that, I know earlier in the offseason, that was a really big conversation. He was the guy that I would reference. I mean, you obviously have Mike McDaniel coming over um, from San Francisco and Tyreek can do a lot around the line of scrimmage and in, in obviously is, is electric with the ball in his hand. So if he gets some of those types of touches, some jet motion stuff, and, and they just continue to try to get him in space, he, he can rack up a lot of really cheap touch uh, catches, which could really help his end-of-season line. Obviously, with his athleticism, could break some stuff. There's going to be some question about whether or not he can be consistently good down the field. He's going from Patrick Mahomes, an elite downfield thrower, to, to Tua, who's good, but maybe hasn't had you know as much success as a downfield thrower as we'd like to see he i mean that that's something that people like to talk about you go back to his college days he was good at alabama at it or at least people like to highlight that he had that great throw in the national championship that that helped them win or i, I think it was to win the game if i'm not mistaken maybe in overtime but not a patrick mahomes level deep ball thrower right so you have those concerns certainly but yeah, Sean, we we got the 101 finally. That's the where we're burying the lead a little bit. We talked about it for people who listened to our drafts last year. I really wanted to get at least one Christian McCaffrey team built. Uh, we we did drafts I think three days in a row and recorded them all and didn't get the 101. And then you had already had one locked in with Blair Andrews, the, the fantastic Blair Andrews who we talk about all the time on the show. Got to be reading all his work over at Rotoviz that was in the same time slot the next day. I think we drafted you and I in, in the 10 a.m. time slot, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You already had a Monday morning 10 a.m. time slot with Blair locked in. And uh, I guess it wasn't fill, filled probably yet. You don't find out your draft order until it's filled. But when once it filled and you found out, it was pretty funny that you had landed the 101 there. And after our three days, facing it to some degree it was a fun convert you know and, and and all of those teams were in the back third and so we had a, we had a fun little theme going last year that we couldn't get an early draft slot we've gotten a lot more luck so far this year we got the i believe the 105 in our draft with the ship chasers pat corain and pete Overzet, and built a really fun chase team you and i already did one main that stealing bananas listeners will have heard where we got the 103 which i already referenced and taylor went to came to us at the 103 and we took jonathan taylor and then built with several uh receivers after that that draft for us was taylor debo dj moore waddle bateman devonta smith lamar jackson for the bateman stack and then we finally took our number two running back with devin singletary in the eighth and pat fryermuth was our first tight end it's a little tougher to hit the the tight end premium from the two three turn if the the big three go and the kittle waller don't make it back so we wound up with a, a fryermuth everett tight end build there that was a fun taylor team really excited about that team we get the 101 here though finally and a year later christian mccaffrey still there in that 101 discussion we have our christian mccaffrey team you obviously were one of the earliest on Christian McCaffrey had him everywhere in dynasty when he wasn't necessarily a clear top pick. Uh, I know going into year two, he was a two, three turn guy and you were taking him absolutely everywhere. He had obviously a monster season. It's a little bit older now, but he has hit that thesis. You had even from the rookie draft period of, of Christian McCaffrey's career 
that you know he could essentially be the next Marshall Falk. He looks like that. It's really fun to have him because if you get the you know 27 point per game season that we all know is there, I mean it's just like such it's such an advantage. It's 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 especially the way that we build with the receivers we're going to add. It's going to be a really fun season <laughs> if we get that so you got to hope he holds up but that was you know went into the decision we already had the taylor share we already had chase i don't think we have a, a jefferson or cup team together you and i but um fun to take mccaffrey there and then we hit two receivers at the two three turn as far as who we were uh you know able to decide from there we talked about some of the receivers that were available michael Pittman and mike evans had already gone off the board all of the tight ends had gone as far as running backs, Najee Harris, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, Javante Williams, and Derrick Henry working backwards all went in the second round. Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara, and DeAndre Swift all went in the first. So the running backs that have gone since that turn that we passed up and weren't really considering, Leonard Fournette, James Conner, Travis Etienne, Nick Chubb, Etienne, a guy we like, but not at the 2-3 turn necessarily at this point. A lot of receivers have gone off now, Sean. We're heading back towards our pick in the fourth Deontay Johnson just went, somebody that I would have loved to see fall, but not probably going to happen at this stage. Gabe Davis has gone. Amon Ross St. Brown has gone. Those are guys that at, at points this offseason you could get at the 4-5 turn. Jalen Waddle has gone. The top receiver on my board is a guy that I know you want to get exposure to, and we talked about how you can't, can't really ever get him in the fifth round on a recent show, which is Jerry Judy. It'd be real fun if this was the draft where he fell to the four or five turn. It would be. And, you know, I, I have the last three days of main events. That's 43 main events. His average draft slot is the 503. <laughs> but if he does get there, it. no, I, I mean, we don't personally see it. How is that an average? <laughs> That's not an average. <laughs> we, uh, and you mentioned how fun it is to have the 101. When you think about, the type of team that you could draft and just run out to lead the regular season in points and then blow away the field in the playoffs. I mean, having Christian McCaffrey seems like the most obvious and e easy way to do it. I mean, I still have Jonathan Taylor right there with him in my rankings. And yet I think that Taylor is actually quite a bit safer and an even bigger talent as a pure runner, but we just, there's no profile like McCaffrey's. So especially since we already have Taylor, it's really fun to get, a little bit of both you know last season it was a good example of be careful what you wish for we ended up having uh, that team that you mentioned that the blair and i had looked like through the very limited time that mccaffrey played that it was going to run away with the league he gets hurt and then obviously we did not advance meanwhile you and i had a bunch of picks down there where jonathan taylor goes and so it worked out very nicely for us you never know. It could be that way again this season. We could be looking back at the end of this year and saying, look, I mean, if you had the 10, 11, 12, if you had the 9, if you were in that range to get Saquon Barkley, then you were set. Saquon Barkley blew away everyone in 2022. We do have some teams in that in that range, and we have been taking him. Obviously, there's some other players as well. We're just kind of hoping that if it is somebody from that back end, that it happens to be Barkley since that's our guy. But Ben, I just I have a good feeling about this. I think that this year... McCaffrey stays healthy, and you mentioned Marshall Falk. Let's get that Marshall Falk season. Absolutely, and Sean, we got a little sweat going because since Deontay Johnson, we got Brandon Cooks, Juju, and then Waller and Kittle both go, so we do get that. They they both made it within four picks of us. Michael Thomas goes one pick ahead of us. We do get our Jerry Judy pick. That second pick will be the one we're going to have to discuss a little bit more. I know you're in on getting Judy here, right? I am. It Extremely it does. I mean, it does look like Cortland Sutton has the edge early, but we know that even when training camp and early practices make it look like one guy has the edge, when there's an elite number two, those things can flip. I think the Jerry Judy as a breakout candidate is more or less unparalleled. You put in with Russell Wilson, and the sky's the limit. I mean, we like KJ Hamler too. I mean, there are three guys here. It's hard to go wrong with, I think, at least from a contingency-based perspective. Certainly, Albert O also fits into that category. In terms of the easy path to it, you compare Judy and Hamler. I mean, one of those guys is going to start out in a much better position. He's much more expensive. But I just think, again, when you're looking at what type of team will we look back at the end of the season and think, you know, how do people get this team? <laughs> 
we got to make our other pick. You, you you ran the whole Judy clock in 20 seconds into our next pick. Right, but we picked Judy. Judy. We're in there. We're in there. <laughs> yeah, I know, but we, we already agreed on that one. All the all the entries in the contest were making fun of the filibuster. So we appreciate yeah. everyone who listens and knows all about that. Ben, I may just keep talking and take Rashad Bateman <laughs> and not let you get a word in. <laughs> we got 20, 22 seconds in our second pick of the turn. Marquise Brown is who you have at the top of the queue. Is that is that who you would like? I mean, and, and Rashad Bateman is the other one you have in the queue. Those are the next two on my board. Um, all right, I have Chris Godwin in there too, but I have a lot of Godwin. Don't need to take him here. I'm comfortable with either. I would like Bateman. Does that sound good? Let's go for it. Colin and I did have a little bit of disappointment a couple of times yesterday. Bateman, well, Debo went one pick ahead of us in the third. Bateman went one pick ahead of us in the fifth. Mooney went one pick ahead of us in the sixth. We did still come back and get guys we liked, obviously. We took DK Metcalf in the at the 507. Ben, is that somebody that if Bateman and Brown were off the board there, who would have been your next pick? I would have probably wanted to go Godwin. I mean, I, I don't I don't think we need to add him there. Maybe I'm too optimistic on the injury return timeline, but I do think with the redundancies that we draft at receiver, he makes a lot of sense in the way that we think of rookie receivers, where they can get off to a slow start, but you've you're looking for this breakout upside late. Again, maybe I'm too optimistic about the health, but to me, Godwin fits that in the sense of I'm not really necessarily wanting to start him for the first four weeks or so. The way I've been thinking through it is from about week five on, I think he's going to be their number one in Tampa Bay. There's some concerns about their offensive line, about their whole offense, but I also think those play into Godwin a little bit more. The, the, all the injuries on the line. Brady's so good at getting the ball out quick. I think it just hammers home the point that Godwin's, you know, targets per run was a career high last year. Evans was a career low by quite a lot. Uh, a lot of those were those quick passes to Godwin, but they're going to have to do those again this year because they don't have the strength of offensive line after a lot of injuries. I think after about four or five weeks, when Godwin is up to speed, if he gets up to speed by that point, it's the hope that he's essentially a second round pick type receiver the rest of the way. At least that's where I've you know been landing on it as I think through it. And so the op- opportunity to get him in the fifth round in a build like this where you have three other really good receivers, you're going to be starting for a month anyway, and we can find other ways to play that other flex and then have Godwin in our back pocket. It's not a great price for a guy that's not going to help you get off to a fast, fast start. And I'm very comfortable with Bateman. gotten a lot more comfortable with him since our recent conversations where you've pointed out that because their number two receivers have all been hurt through the offseason, and Isaiah likely is basically their only dude that stepped up and shown anything and any reason for real optimism after Andrews and Bateman, and he's obviously a second tight end. I mean, Bateman's going to pretty clearly be that lead receiver to start the year for them, and the Dobbins stuff, which is you know at least mildly concerning for all the Dobbins shares we have, they're going to throw like they did last year, I think, to start the year. Their running backs are not going to be you know, demanding a ton of rush volume early. Bateman is is sort of, you know, a, a great pick in that regard where he can get off to a hot start. And if he does, if he takes, you know, I, I've been talking about Bateman throughout the offseason as sort of a, a two-step. You, you got to see him improve because he wasn't great on a per-route basis last year. And he ran a lot of routes. He ran 400 routes. One guy I've compared him to is Elijah Moore. We're so confident in his sample that he's incredibly good. He only ran about 300 routes. Bateman ran 100 routes more last year and wasn't very good. Targets per out run in the like 16% range obviously had come back from an injury. And that's sort of, you know, again, the concern with Godwin. Sometimes the the injury stuff lingers. The guy's not really who he's going to become, you know, once he's fully all all the way back and has faith in his body. That's the hope of Bateman is that he wasn't really playing to his full capabilities last year, that he's a a rookie that's ready for a year to jump. If he does make that skill jump, the second part of the one-two step with Bateman that I've been concerned about was the pass volume, that they might be more run heavy this year, that a lot of their offseason moves, how many tight ends they acquired indicated that. And yet where the running backs at are now here early September makes me a lot more confident in that second part of the two-step at least. And then the Bateman year two bump and skill I was already, you know, pretty comfortable taking that. So it doesn't feel like such a big hurdle in my mind now for for Bateman to be good. And particularly because it's an early season element with the potential pass volume bump, we might see him be very good early. And then that just changes their whole plan. They're like, okay, we, we got to get the ball to this receiver 
often. And so you can start to see how a season can shape out for him that at least for me, I was a little skeptical of. I think you probably saw it all along. I was more skeptical. I'm seeing it a lot more now, how that can go very positively for him. So very excited about that pick. Godwin would have been the other one just because I think he could have been a hammer late in the season. Those are all, all great points. I, I, I do want to you know, be totally honest with the listeners that a little bit of my Bateman enthusiasm does come from reading some puck pieces on him, which you always have to be very concerned about. The Ravens team sources and reporters claim that he was absolutely unreal in his rookie training camp. Then he gets hurt. And like you said, he wasn't good last year. He says he was about 75% after he came back. His teammates and coaches say he just wasn't the same guy. They said he's been fantastic again this offseason. He's worked out a lot with Devontae Adams, trying to learn all of those nuances. He's a much better athlete even than I think people realize. And I do think that if there, you know, and there were sources outside of the, the Ravens who actually liked him as the best rookie wide receiver prospect. Now, that's in some ways a little bit silly, or at least after the fact, we can say, well, he's probably not Jamar Chase at the very least. That seems straightforward. But I mean, I like his talent level a lot and i think it's a, a lot good of people had him, jackson a lot of people had him wide receiver two i had him wide receiver two uh in the pre-draft period i think i moved waddle ahead of him post-draft in in sort of how i was thinking through things but from a profile perspective i mean when you're looking at things last you know march he looks very good he looked fantastic yeah the the landing in baltimore was a little bit of a concern yeah that was a huge bummer but i still think it could turn out in his favor well we we saw baltimore change their their tune massively last year and so it does change what they could be certainly well and one of the reasons that you and i are on players like aj brown rashad bateman debo samuel brandon Ayuk, Devontae smith if the community is wrong i mean you're not going to be wrong on their talent i mean there's a very slim chance of that if the community is wrong on the pass volume then you get what happened to mark andrews (laughs) last season and he's on all of the teams that are competing for the big tournament wins and you I mean, you have to have them. And so it's the sort of epitome of a small loss because these guys are huge talents and a big win. And we're going to have multiple ways to play this from a receiver perspective if we're wrong on one of these. And that's the reason that you have depth from your highest upside players. The depth on players who aren't high upside is much less important because, you know, that's where free agency and, and that type of dynamic to the contest comes into play. You don't need to worry about depth with your guys who are more uh, just switch them around, get free agents anywhere. We want depth from the potential stars. I do have uh, some thoughts on Godwin, but let's kind of sprinkle yeah. those in after our next turn here. A couple so of names between, that we like. Yeah. Between our two picks, Schultz, Goddard, Hawkinson, I'll go. So, you know, I, I know, I, Sean, there was some, some possibility we could, we could have talked about Hawkinson. I know you like him. We also see quite a few uh, running backs, more than we're typically seeing in the fifth and sixth round. Zeke fell to the 502 because he often goes higher. David Montgomery, Brees Hall goes in the fifth. But we get A.J. Dillon, Damian Pierce, Chase Edmonds, Cam Akers all off the board at the 5-6. J.K. Dobbins still out there. Where do we want to pull that cord? Um, We have quarterback options. Again, last time we took Taylor at 103, and we're picking from this early area. We took Bateman. We wound up taking Lamar on the way back. He is still there again. But Justin Herbert and Mahomes have gone off as well as Josh Allen. At receiver, we did lose Godwin, Metcalf, Mooney, Marquise Brown, Elijah Moore, and then Thielen went. <clears throat> One of the guys I'd love to consider here is Drake London, just because we didn't get pits on this team. And I'm, I'm getting to the point where I don't like taking them together, and so I don't feel like I have enough London. <laughs> and it would be, I guess, not that aggressive of a pick. He goes in the mid-seven. Brandon Ayuk, an option. He goes in the mid-seven. Devontae Smith, an option. He goes in the late seven. Probably he would be the person who's not really in the conversation because we have A.J. Brown on this team. I don't, For the similar reasons that you don't want Pitts in London, I don't really want Brown and Smith. Almost all of the teams that I have drafted this season have one of those two guys, which is a pretty crazy exposure to them. But the Philadelphia offense looks like it could just be an absolute juggernaut. Then we're one pick away. They've given us a lot of good options. I, I, I find myself wanting one of these three quarterbacks. I find myself wanting J.K. Dobbins because once he is healthy, you talk about winning the whole tournament. I think that he's the guy. In some ways, going with Rashad Bateman, you know, perhaps we want to play this one through the passing game instead of 
through him as the running back, but again, they can score so many points. And one of the reasons why, I mean, even in those really run heavy offenses, they were just so explosive in terms of total number of points, especially when you look at it as a three week contest in week 15 to 17, there's enough total points there in the Ravens offense to go with both of those players. And then, like you said, I'd love to have Drake London. So Lamar Jackson goes, we aren't going to be able to get that passing stack. We could take Dobbins along with Bateman and have just multiple ways to play Baltimore's offense. Really like London. The other QB that makes a lot of sense is taking Hertz over Kyler because we do have AJ Brown. I, London would be the receiver for me. I don't. I don't have strong opinions elsewhere. Do we have Murray on that third main event team? Uh, I know I have a lot of exposure, Murray. I'm not entirely certain. So I'm going to click on Drake London here. We get him locked in. Let me check the other team we have. It, ha- it that's a Lance team, so we don't have any Murray yet. Okay. You would take Murray over Hertz, even with AJ Brown. Well, I would take him over him in a vacuum. I, I would have too. I have him a close. tier higher. For me, I have a, I have like at least three shares of Murray in the main, and I don't have any hurt. So I, I guess I'm, I'm I'm letting my personal exposures influence my thoughts here. I, I I could definitely go Murray here, unstacked even. I mean, he's a star, and there's lots of ways to play him late that we really like. So we grab Jalen Hurts to complete that stack. I think I mean that's a fun one. You've said multiple times this off season, Hurts and Lance. One of them is going to be the QB one. I don't know if you're, you know, still completely on that, but you've said that you're very in on AJ Brown, you're very in on Devonta Smith. Kind of hard not to be very in on Jalen Hurts, given that because he's going to run for plenty of yards too. Right. He's got and and I talked a lot about the different degrees of quarterback rushing and how high Lance's rushing could get if it's not Lamar or Lance that like leads the league in quarterback rushing yards, the next guy for me wouldn't be Kyler. It would be Hertz. He only played 14 games last year. I've talked about that 150 rush attempt mark, or excuse me, he played 15 games. He got to 140 rush attempts in 15 games. He was almost certainly going to hit that 150 rush attempt mark last year. I've talked also about how these quarterbacks, their rush rates tend to fall a little bit as they get more comfortable. Part of our hope with Hertz is that he stands back there and throws a little more for these receivers but that rush rate was incredibly high for him. Uh, Kyler Murray, for example, obviously was injured at times last year, but only 88 rush attempts on four, in 14 games, significantly fewer. 52 fewer in only one fewer game. Now you go back to, to 2020, Kyler's really good year. He had 133 rush attempts in 16 games. He definitely has rushing upside, Kyler, and, and could pr- approach the 150 mark. But Hertz is the guy that I would take next, especially because he had the 10 rushing TDs last year too, if they carry any over any of that over this year. Um, you're talking about really big rushing upside for him. He only he only threw 16 touchdowns last year in 15 games. That's the element where he's got a lot of room to gain with A.J. Brown on the roster now. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at the overall QB1 right there, so it makes sense to go ahead and grab him at the 6-7 turn. You mentioned that rushing decline for Murray. I could see that one going either way. He's so explosive and he gives them an element to the offense that they need that that could bounce back. And yet at the same time with injuries that really derailed their seasons in both years, if he becomes just, you know, more of a straightforward passer, I don't think he's going to have the kind of decline that we've seen from Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott, at least immediately. But there is a trend kind of like you talked about that, both becoming more comfortable and confident and capable as a passer and that increased need to avoid those injuries that are destroying the season. I mean, he, he may just not have the same upside. Now the, the flip side of it is the Cardinals are also going to score a ton of points and he now has far and away the best passing weapons that he has had. He was my seventh round pick in the best pick in every round article. So I'm very much on him, but I like Hertz within this, Situation where we already have A.J. Brown. I actually think that that increases our upside and it mitigates almost any downside from that A.J. Brown pick. Yeah. Because now, if we actually don't see what we're looking for, then we're still going to win through Jalen Hurts. We're still going to be great with Jalen Hurts' rushing. I I hadn't even thought of that, but as soon as you started to say it, I I think you're 100% right. So the trade-off with not taking Murray, a little bit of a bummer, certainly. Um, you know, I mentioned I've gotten a lot of Murray, so 
Sean, apologies to you if you have not gotten a chance to draft him as much that I kind of pushed us towards Hurts there. The other guy, though, that maybe hurts the most to not have is J.K. Dobbins, who you had talked about. We got a little bit low on the clock there. He ends up going 705. We've seen him. I've seen him in a lot of my recent drafts fall into the seventh round. But the 6-7 turn would have still been a really nice price for him. I mean, the way that we would describe him is if he's fully healthy, if people aren't freaking out about these camp videos, he's going in the third. What's so funny to me is Cam Akers isn't even healthy enough to get videos out there, and people are taking him and not dropping him, and they're fine with him. J.K. Dobbins is out working out and looking pretty good during the drills, but then he's got a little limp after the drill, and so people are dropping him because of this limp. That just tells you the power of people being able to see things with their own eyes and video, right? Like Dobbins looks way healthier than Akers right now. I have way more confidence that Dobbins can be healthy throughout this year than I do in Akers, who had a, a more serious injury. I know Dobbins was a multi-ligament knee injury, but still Akers, the Achilles. Look, Marlon Mack just got cut. Deontay Foreman can't beat out Chuba Hubbard, even though he had a pretty good year last year. We still don't see these Achilles running backs come back and, and produce. A lot of them, their, their career is just sort of over, which is a horrible thing for Akers, who's such a fun young player as a possibility. It's not a like, you know, a certainty or anything. I don't want to write him off. But I've been really concerned about Akers all offseason. The Dobbins stuff to me is a little bit of double counting. We knew he had a serious knee injury. We knew he'd probably still be rehabbing it at this point. I, I really could have got behind that pick as well, Sean. We kind of, again, got a little bit low on the clock. So apologies if that's where you would have preferred to go as well. I do think small consolation, part of the Bateman thesis is, look, they throw a ton again this year. And, and part of the Dobbins thesis is they get back to the team they were pre-2021. I don't necessarily think you can't have them on the same roster. But part of it is that with Lamar's rushing, eating up so much of the total yardage in the offense, I mean, you got a quarterback who can run for a thousand yards. You kind of want the running backs in that offense to have a run lean with the offense where the rest of the production other than Lamar is to the running backs. You kind of want the receivers or the tight end and Andrews for the rest of the, of the production to lean towards the passing game. It's a little tough for the running back and the receiver to both hit ceilings in an offense where Lamar Jackson is Lamar Jackson at the center of it all. It is always disappointing to miss on him. And yet with a Christian McCaffrey team, like it works both ways. I mean, Dobbins would give us the absolute upside pick. Somebody else I'm already looking at who I haven't been drafting a lot recently because he hasn't fit the needs on those teams precisely, but I think would be really exciting here would be someone like Ken Walker. I've got a ton of Rashad Penny, who I think is perhaps going to lead the league in rushing through the first month of the season and not priced like someone who's going to lead the league in rushing. But both of those guys, pretty interesting here. When you have Christian McCaffrey, I just want to make sure that we have the wide receivers and then the ones, the upside. Obviously, we don't have a tight end yet. I mean, I I love this team. It's difficult to not love your team out of the 101, but we, we are on a path that we're enjoying. Some of the other names to come off here, Gibson, CEH, Tony Pollard, four running backs actually come off in the next five picks. Then we have a stretch of receivers in Renfro, Cooper, Devontae Smith, Kadarius, Tony, and DeAndre Hopkins. Three more running backs in Daryl Henderson. You mentioned Akers. Henderson, obviously the beneficiary if Akers is not ready to go. And I think that's the highest I've seen him go at 801 there. Yeah, definitely, definitely rising. James Cook, Kareem Hunt. <laughs> I'm again, I'm not necessarily saying this is a bad pick, but it's interesting how maybe some things are being anchored to that are a little bit misleading, and that we now have the backup for the Browns going ahead of the starter for the Seahawks, even though both offenses look like they'll be bad. And Rashad Penny is perhaps a top five running back in all of football. We have Brandon Ayuk and Alan Lazard go. Josh Jacobs finally goes, even with all the problems that he has. That's probably a decent price, although we would still not be in on him there. I think Penny, I, I'm, I'm, I'm right in lockstep with you on Penny and sweating it hard because uh, everything you're saying, I'm in you know, full agreement on. Surprise, surprise. That, that tends to be the case. But I have a lot of these backs in the tier lower than Penny and, and Devin Singletary as well in my rankings we're three picks away now that'd be pretty fun <laughs> yeah it would it would the only thing that i'm thinking there is that with a christian mccaffrey team and maybe looking even more in the second half of the season ken walker who is not super expensive is an interesting way to play it also then we had a report this morning ish 
sometime recently that Traylon Burks is in line for a big early season workload. You've stuck to your guns on him, and I would love to have him on this team. Sky Moore is an interesting player if we're thinking to like how could we get a little bit unique in week 17 if we are say 10 or 15 points back of the leaders maybe we're there in the top five we're trying to figure out how to get to the million we have jerry judy already denver kansas city a week 17 potential shootout pat fryermuth an option cole commit an option both of those guys could be breakout tight ends and we do not have that position addressed at all yet i love all those options i feel like i've had had more of a stamp on the last couple of rounds, Sean. So I want to give you the free reign here. But to, to, I, one thought for me would be that I think tight ends one we can still kind of push with these other options we have at running back and receiver on the board. I love everything you you just mentioned in in terms of the rookie receivers falling here to the eight nine turn feels like really great value. The penny Singletary, but also potentially waiting on Walker, I think makes a lot of sense. So, what path would you like to, to chart for us here? Because I think there's a lot of ways we can go. I'm comfortable with the tight end if, if that's where you think the move is. And then we're waiting on Walker instead of Penny. Yeah, I mean, the one-on-one, you just have so many options, so many players you want to pick. Uh, let's lock in Traylon Burks. All right. I like that. And now I think for me this pick is either Penny or Sky Moore. I mean, probably it should be a tight end. The The tight ends going here, Cole Komet, is at the 809 pat fryermuth at the 909 those players are not going to make it back i mean albert o at the could make it back gerald everett is the best pick in fantasy he should make it to us later i really don't understand no offense price so i'm probably just missing something there so we do have some other ways to play it i think we have to make it fun i mean cole Komet, pat fryermuth probably not the absolute league winners which direction do you prefer here between Penny and Moore? I mean, we're looking at not maybe taking running backs even at the next turn. So maybe this is a Penny team. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Let's, yeah, let's go Penny then. He'll get us off to that fast start we were talking about. If he does have some injury issues, which seems to be the concern, really the only reason he goes at 901, obviously we have McCaffrey, right? So like this is this is a team where we're, we're, and look, McCaffrey could have injury issues too. But if he does, we're probably not winning the million dollars here. This is a team where we're expecting McCaffrey to stay healthy mostly. Penny is going to be part of an RB2 equation. Could be the RB2 all year for all, you know, if things go particularly well for him. But gives us that explosive RB2 early season element. I love getting Burks there along with London. Obviously, Bateman, Judy, other breakout candidates we have. Even A.J. Brown, I would argue, is something of a breakout candidate considering he's never run more than 406 routes in a season and never really seen that full year from A.J. Brown and what it could be. It's a very fun team. We let Sky Moore go. We maybe don't have as much redundancy at receiver, but the trade-off is we're starting McCaffrey and Penny in, in week one, which is a pretty nice two-running-back build while Walker works his way back. 
One of the, I don't expect him to drop, but one of the somewhat controversial tight ends who's a little bit interesting because of that week one or that first Thursday night game. I've seen Dawson Knox well below ADP a number of times. I don't know if that's a little bit of the, the Gabe Davis slash Isaiah McKenzie enthusiasm. He's got an ADP of 812. I don't like him there. But at 1012, which again, we don't expect that would be, I think, a no brainer type of pick. We do still have plenty of players we love in that range, but the talent is going to drop off somewhat severely over the next two rounds before it gets back to us. Some other names we like in that range Romeo Dobbs, Jahan Dotson, Rashad White could fall to that pick. Running backs in round 10, not all of whom will drop, but one of whom might. Kenneth Walker, Naheem Hines, Kenneth Gainwell, Rashad White, Isaiah Pacheco, Michael Carter, Alexander Madison. All of those backs other than Madison probably have a lot of upside. It may be just wishful thinking since I've written a couple of glowing articles both early in the offseason and then after the first preseason week about Ty Chandler. He's somebody I would love for us to get in the 20th round. I think that he is the backup in Minnesota, really, regardless of what happens. I can't tell. Ben, do you have a read on this? I, I'm hearing that there are trade rumors with Madison, but it seems like people are just saying that Chandler is awesome, so they could trade Madison, but maybe I've missed that there there is something actually there. I think there was a little a little buzz before the cut down that he might get moved, that they were looking to move him and that they didn't yeah, that they might even potentially cut cut him or you know weren't sold on him being a part of their initial 53 cut down. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's just speculation because of the other back backs. What's interesting is when I saw those, everyone's response was about Kenny Wong Wu, who's a really athletic player, but was mostly a special teamser in college and played special teams in year one. And I've had in the back of my mind that you said about Ty Chandler since basically right after the draft that if there's an Elijah Mitchell this year, and there won't be, as we always say, but that Ty Chandler's probably it. To start to hear this buzz about Madison for me was was surprising, but less surprising because I had heard you say that several times. And you tend to not say those types of things unless you are brighter than usual, which is uh anytime you say something that makes my my eyebrows perk up, I'm I'm paying particularly close attention to it. So it has been funny to see that when people were talking about the potential Madison cut or Madison not being locked in that it was the other Vikings backup that seems like more of a special team. So that people were focused on, he does have the great athletic profile, et cetera, but I'm right there with you. I mean, I'm not seeing Ty Chandler even get drafted. It might be fun to grab him in the 20th round and see if, if what you've suggested all off season is actually the case. I, I don't think anyone else is on that, Sean. I mean, we're putting it on stealing bananas now, but maybe, maybe it'll get a little, a little circulation now, but I think you're the only person who actually cares about drafting Ty Chandler right now. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's true or not. Obviously, I'm not on the social medias, but it's never true that one per like nobody's on this guy. People love to say that. That's never true, but this might be the rare case that, <laughs> that there's not really anyone else on him. One of the things about Christian McCaffrey before he became Christian McCaffrey is just that you've got this guy who's a little bit smaller and has electric athleticism and I, there's it, this is not to say at all that it always works, but the smaller hyper athletic backs tend to be undervalued. We've bought them for 15 years. A lot of them break through and have these amazing seasons. It's, it's a long time ago now, but Chris Johnson's rookie season was huge for me. And that dude was tiny, but for that period there was the best running back in the NFL, because if there was a hole, he was gone for 70 yards. And uh, Ty Chandler is not anywhere close to those two guys, but he's a player with plus athleticism that the team likes. From that perspective, he's someone I, th I think we want to keep an eye on. Then I'm already getting excited about the 10-11 the turn here. I think there are going to be so many options. We do still have a full round to go through. A lot of the people we have in the queue will go off during that round. This most recent round, Friarmouth went the very next pick, then Singletary, Moore, Pickens, Lockett, some expected names. Matthew Stafford goes ahead of Russell Wilson and Trey Lance. That's a little bit interesting considering the elbow, which has decreased, I think, in attention, but for me, it's still something that you want to have in the back of your mind. And he's unstacked on that roster as well, just for, for the listeners. I, I, I That perked up 
you know, I, I thought that was interesting too. And I was going to comment on Lance falling even behind Wilson as well to the nine ten. Yeah, people really spooked by that that preseason game. And I think that while you prefer to see people look good, right? I mean, you prefer to see people look like Justin Fields looked. And Fields is going, if you look at the last three or four days compared to his two-week ADP, Fields is about a half round more expensive. So people are reacting to that positively, as they should. Uh, but I think that, I mean, the, the theory for Trey Lance is that he doesn't actually need to be good. And if he is, that's bonus. So from that perspective, maybe, I mean, Lance is going to be a value for drafters this week. Almost certainly. I do like taking Marcus Mariota or Justin Fields. If you take Lance and you can work them in because they have profiles that in some ways are similar and just very, very inexpensive. Yeah. There's at least some small concern now that if Lance is so bad that they're losing games and he's the reason for it, that they might actually go to Garoppolo, but it's very clear Lance is going to start and he's going to play and he's going to get a leash and, and then we'll see sort of a thing. Garoppolo is not even particularly healthy. So um, I do, I completely agree with you, especially in, in single QB. I could see in Superflex being a little more concerned about Lance at this point because you, you know, you're, you're paying up for your QB one. Maybe you're more comfortable with Burrow and Russ Wilson. They're going to start 16 games and, and the replacement level is a little lower at QB and Superflex. But man, I mean, I still think, Lance's upside is, is incredibly high. And in, in a one QB league, like you said, you can just tack on a Fields or a Mariota for that insurance policy. Just carry two quarterbacks. It's not the end of the world. Sean, a couple of other notes here, because we talked about tight end, and I think you made some really strong cases there. Fired with Komet Knox, all do go. Three guys that you mentioned. Alberto and Gerald Everett, both still on the board. Very interesting selections to, to start to address tight end if we want to go there. Ken Walker does go. Obviously, we took Penny. Probably not going to take both in those situations. But Rashad White still on the board at running back, a guy that we do like as an upside running back. And then at receiver, Sky Moore, you mentioned George Pickens, Rondell Moore, Jahan Dotson, all guys that we're definitely in on. And yet, Garrett Wilson has not gone yet. Again, 10th overall pick continues to fall. Part of the reason I didn't love Sky Moore there, and I have so much exposure to him and love the price at 901, was that we had London. We had Burks at the 812. If we take Sky there, Garrett Wilson would have gave us four straight rookie receivers. Not like we would have been out on that, but I, I thought there was a possibility Garrett Wilson would come back here. And we don't have Elijah Moore on this roster. We don't have Brees Hall. Michael Carter just went, so we're not going to be getting him either. It does feel like a nice spot to tack on Garrett Wilson. Absolutely at these prices. Rashad White does go. Kenneth Gainwell goes. So Carter, White, Gainwell. Three in a row, guys that, that uh, we do like. And Kenneth Walker had also gone. Pacheco goes after that. So we get back on the clock. Garrett Wilson is still there. A couple of those tight ends still there. My best running back at this point is a guy you've gotten me a lot more on, Raheem Mostert. But kind of a drop-off from what we just saw. Do you think this is a Wilson tight end type turn? Or what, what are you thinking? Man, this is tough. I want to take like five guys. And, I mean, that's the usual in the fourth round where all the players are good. But, man, we're at the 10-11 I want Dobbs and, and Wilson. I think that he, you mentioned Mostert. I hadn't even been thinking about him yet. He's a good pick. Tyler Algier, a good pick. I mean, we could go Albert O and Gerald Everett here. Albert's not getting back. Gerald Everett might, but it's also probably the guy that we want more between the two of them. Who should we pick first and then discuss our second guy? Well, let's not go running back. Because we have two, and we can wait on that. So is, is it Garrett Wilson or Dobbs for you if you want to get at least one receiver here? Okay, so we we click on Wilson. As a top 10 pick, we know that his likely volume situation and how the team plays this as the season progresses is very straightforward. I'm comfortable clicking on Dobbs too. I think that he's going to be the, the wide receiver one for the Green Bay Packers. Let's do but it. I'm also good with going Gerald Everett. And uh, I mean, he's going to be like the number six or number seven tight end, which we do need. Uh, we can definitely take him. I, I don't mind kicking the tight end can a little bit. We could do a likely John O Trey McBride build if we had to, you know? Okay. So we'll take the big risk. We're going to go after the receiver firepower and here. Dobbs, uh, for those who are stealing signals subscribers, I, I put these big tier breaks in, in my different tiers and, and, and rankings. I have the big tier break after sort of the wide receiver window closes. 
Dobbs was the last receiver for me above that tier break, and, and Garrett Wilson was the second to last. So, you know, a couple guys that I actually have behind the tier break have already gone off. Like a Chase Claypool, I've, I've moved down because of Pickens. That's the way I was seeing that and agreeing with you is if we want to take both of those guys, we're up to eight receivers now. We did end up getting four straight rookie receivers, but so much firepower at receiver. And the last opportunity before this wide receiver window closes here at the 10-11 to get Wilson. Dobbs has gone in the in the early ninth quite a few times recently. So even him at 11-01, good value. I think Garrett Wilson at 10-12, very straightforward value. We do have to give up tight ends again, but... When you have McCaffrey, Penny at the two running back spots, when you have Hertz's upside at QB, when you have this type of receiver firepower, and we, you know, we didn't get the elite tight end, we can't fix that. I wrote a piece recently about the draft doesn't really care what your needs are. You're not necessarily going to fix it here with Everett or Alberto. Uh, I do like both those guys a ton, and Alberto goes here a few picks after us. We're not going to be able to get him, but we just double down on a strength there, right? And now we feel really good, especially early in the season, about every lineup spot but tight end. And that's where it's okay to continue to push tight end if you're in that position. Ben, we're in a situation now where even having a couple of receivers with a week 10 by, a couple of receivers with a week 14 by, if this team doesn't hammer the league during the bye weeks, then something will have gone extremely wrong, right? And when we're looking at the point route to get to the playoffs, we're looking at, you know, how do you go on this big win streak run? Having that big advantage in the flex spots during the bye weeks, when you're drafting and everybody's healthy and, and nobody has had anything weird off the field happen and all of the teams could still be good, you know, we don't know who the busts are yet then you're thinking, I mean, it's going to be no problem. I drafted my starting lineup and that starting lineup is good. We get six weeks into the season and suddenly you're trying to find guys off of waivers to put into the starting lineup. And sometimes that works magnificently. Sometimes those guys off waivers are the player who had the big week the previous week. And now the theory for them is very positive going forward. If you're in a situation where you have six top 15 wide receivers and the biggest question is like which wide receiver one caliber player are we going to put on the bench it's very difficult not to be doing well in your league absolutely and you look at the receivers who went right after us russell gage isaiah mckenzie marcus valdez scantling obviously all in great offenses julio jones tyler boyd also in great offenses those guys are all going to be good and i know there's people who think for instance marcus valdez scantling has some real upside Maybe McKenzie has some real upside. Maybe Gage has some real upside. Maybe Julio. I don't know. But what I was going to say is you can see the drop-off in the upside scenarios. Garrett Wilson, Romeo Dubs, especially with what Dubs has done through August and where we're at right now and what the Packers need, those are profiles where if they hit, they hit in a way that is massive. And I, I know we say this all the time. I wrote about it recently and just looked at some of the recent rookie hits. Jamar Chase is the obvious one. Last year, he had this you know, ridiculous prospect profile. People don't want to compare this year's rookies to him. Totally get that. The same time the year before, Justin Jefferson was viewed right in this range. And, and, and viewed as not in not a great offense, working across from Adam Thielen. It was a run-first offense. There were a lot of concerns that are similar to the Drake London or the Traylon Burks or Garrett Wilson type concerns about team pass volume. He went out and had 1,400 yards as a rookie. You look at what Amon Ross St. Brown did down the stretch last year was the wide receiver two over the final six games. You look back to 2019, so Chase was the best rookie in 2021. Jefferson in 2020, back in 2019, the best rookie receiver was A.J. Brown. Wasn't a full-time player until week nine. From that point on, he was the overall wide receiver six. It is not that these guys... We're just hoping that they're good at some point is that we expect they will play as top 10 receivers when they hit for a stretch from week nine on for AJ Brown from week, whatever it was 12 on for Amon Ra last year for Jefferson and Chase. It was the full season. They were top 10 receivers. Brandon Ayuk averaged 15 points a game as a rookie. Brandon Ayuk, another example. There are so many examples in recent years. And the point that I just want to keep harping on is in August all of your concerns about this year's rookie receiver class, they were the exact same for those rookies at that time. I was not that excited about Brandon Ayuk. I didn't really understand it. You got me on him a little bit. 
I didn't get enough Justin Jefferson either. He was not a clear cut, straightforward. I mean, he was interesting, and you guys wrote about him a ton at Rotoviz, and I think it was Blair who had the great piece talking about how he checked all the boxes. He didn't really shatter anything, but he checked every box. He didn't have any red flags, all green marks across everything you'd care about. That was really why, which was our indication, and then also just the fact that he, his dominate, you know, dominator type, you know, dominator rating type numbers couldn't have been that great in an offense with Jamar Chase, who goes on to be a superstar at the NFL level too. So those guys were playing in college together. They're limiting how good they can each be in in that within that offense, which is a great way to look at what wide receiver production numbers, right? And so, but but Jefferson, not a glaring can't miss, you know, no brainer. In in Dynasty, for example, he was a late, you know, first round pick in a lot of Dynasty drafts. Sean, if you go back to May or, you know, even March or whatever, you talk about London, Burks and Garrett Wilson were the big three receivers in this class. They're all on this roster. If you told me we were going to be able to get them on the same roster at 6-12, 8-12 and 10-12 in a redraft league in September, I would have thought you were crazy. Yeah, you would say absolutely no way. And then in addition to that, <laughs> we have the rookie receiver who has probably been better than all of them. And so I think that that's a lot of fun. When you look at the things that you talked about, and I've focused on this in, I didn't write this series this year. I didn't want it to necessarily seem repetitive to long-term readers, but the kind of breakout series, looking at the differences between year five breakouts, four, three, two, and then obviously the rookie breakouts. And the young breakouts are an accelerating trend, right? You're going to get more production from the young players now than you would have a decade ago. At a certain point, you can't say, well, we just have gone through this stretch of elite prospects. It's that these guys are either more ready and or the teams have figured out stylistically how to get them incorporated into the offense faster. And when you have some of the most athletic and talented players in football, and I should say talented, those guys are going to score points, even if they're rookie players. You want to have those players for the second half of the season, especially. I think that this, I mean, this rookie class, they all get maligned because there's not the elite QB prospect and because there's really just Brees Hall, who has struggled himself, and nothing else. The receivers, when we look back at this three years from now, people are going to be like, that was a good class. Maybe not an unreal class, maybe not you know, the 2014 class, but a lot of these guys are going to age really well in terms of how that part of it develops. Ben, we've gotten through here and I you made it. I can't believe what has happened. Number one, Gerald Everett is here and number two, Raheem Mostert is here. And if you wanted to make a case for other guys, there are some other good options as well. I I was referring to Everett because we saw Alberto go, Irv Smith, Mike, Mike Isicki, David and Joku all go. Everett does make it back. I see absolutely no reason to not just smash Mostert alongside of him. But there's other guys. Who are the other guys? Did Algier well, make it back? Oh, Algier made it back too. Yeah. Jeez. You know, Benjamin is, is a, a reasonable pick here. But, yeah, we got a lot of options. Tom Brady's still on the board at the 12-13 turn. We're not so are you, are, you, are you kind of wishing that we had passed on Jalen Hurts? <laughs> taking a guy there. We could have J.K. Dobbins with, with Tom Brady here. With Tom Brady. Right here, that would would have been fun. In in managed formats, you do have to be aware of the potential to pass and, and take some of these guys. I mean, if Tom Brady's not here, you, you do still have players like Justin Fields. Obviously, it's hard to get caught out completely at QB. We take the QB for the upside at that point. I don't know. I, Algier seems like someone who could potentially fall all the way through. I mean, this has been a somewhat conservative draft in terms of the participants projecting points kind of out into the future that are unknown. I think we take Mostert and see what happens. Eight seconds on the clock there for the listeners. Uh, I had already given Sean the full A-OK there. So that was a, that was a, not really a filibuster. I don't think, I think you, that was the mini buster. That was the mini buster. You're talking through the pick that, that you agreed with and and we were in on, we got the effort most or turn Tom Brady goes one pick behind us to the Lamar Jackson drafter. I mean, at a certain point you just got to take him is, is probably what he's thinking. Although that drafter only sitting on, Oh no, started with four straight receivers. I had scrolled down on the draft board. I'd only had one, one receiver after round five, but started with Justin Jefferson, Mike Evans, Debo Samuel, Michael Thomas. So, 
you know, came out came out of the zero RB build with Ezekiel Elliott in the fifth round. Probably not the ideal way, in my opinion, to to approach that. But um, certainly not thin at, at receiver, and and maybe that is part of the idea there, especially with Mike Evans on the roster to grab Brady and have two paths to QB upside. Also got Russell Gage late, so now as a Brady double stack and Lamar on the roster. I see. We've talked about this a little bit, Sean, but I I kind of like as a pivot to so many people going one QB finding multiple QB paths to upside in your lineup. And you're basically just doing it to hold for the week 15, 16, 17 shootout, which is going to be a little bigger this year. It gives you this flexibility because it's total points in this format across three weeks to potentially play multiple upside QBs in different weeks. And then not necessarily be just matching your opponents who have that one really good QB. I mean, like a couple of years ago, we saw the Josh Allen teams disproportionately near the top of the shootout because he had a great three-week stretch. We see that with various uh, quarterbacks, different years. Kyler Murray, another one in 2022, who was disproportionately towards the top. Say that year you would have had both Kyler and Josh Allen somehow at great prices, and you played them the right weeks at different times throughout those three weeks. You could have had even more QB points and really been ahead of you know, both the drafters who who were just on Kyler or just on Josh Allen. Again, just just food for thought. I, I don't hate that strategy. You get a really really cheap option now with Brady with a, a potential double stack at, at a point down the down the line. The way I would think of that is I'm mostly just going to use Lamar all year and let him take me to the to the playoffs if he can. Right, if he stays healthy and everything. If he doesn't, I have some insurance. I have the traditional backup. Right, but then there's that element where when you get to the playoffs. You know, if Lamar has a great season but gets hurt late or something, that plays out very well for you relative to the other Lamar drafters or or you just have the flexibility to play Brady one week during that three-week span and, and basically hope that Brady has a much better week than Lamar and uh, gives you this advantage over the other Lamar teams. It's food for thought. The other thing that I like about that is that even if you have very good quarterbacks, that doesn't mean that you can't maximize it in season as well we have all kinds of great information both at rotoviz with the streaming tool and elsewhere looking at this idea of even if you've got two elite guys you can play the one who has the better matchup that week that is going to give you even more potential upside with the star you can be looking at it from the perspective of you know which pass defense is a good matchup dave caben has is putting out some crazy tools using our sports info solutions information on that the strength of schedule streamer will give you some info on the matchups page for players you can look at the line for the week and how the player has performed against or in in different uh implied points environments so if you're a drafter who likes to look and see well what game has the highest over under this week i want players in that game because there are expected to be a lot of points scored you can put your qb of the two who's in the better scoring environment that weekend into the game, you add an extra 20 points on through the course of the season. Those might be the 20 points that matter. And, or you could win a couple of games that you would otherwise lost. And that could be the thing that matters. So yeah, yeah. I, there's I, so I like many ways to, to piggyback on that. Say Lamar Jackson misses four or five games, which we've had problems with, with Kyler Murray in the past. Right. And then, you get a Lamar Jackson team in because you had Brady and you had enough upside. And a lot of the other Lamar Jackson teams don't make it as a result of that. It, it, it is too costly. You know, say he didn't have, have a great regular season otherwise and miss some games. You're one of the few, not few, but one of the limited number of Lamar Jackson teams advances. Then, then you're just playing Lamar as an upside play in week 15, 16, 17. While, you know, in that scenario, he's competing to get to the playoffs and really going all out because maybe the Ravens have lost a few more games than we expected. There's a lot of ways that plays out. I mean, it's not hard to, to see that the optionality can be beneficial. Tyler Algier and, you know, Benjamin do both go here, Sean, at the 13, 14 turn. We've seen a few more tight ends go off the board. One other thing I want to emphasize about this draft, somewhat similar to how we play zero RB teams or running back picks where, or even quarterback picks where we talk about, you know, you got to wait till it's a little bit flat to make that pick. When we play zero RB teams, we talk about you don't want to pull out too early, take a running back too early because you're getting concerned. You need to get a running back in your lineup. We really like Pat Frymuth. We really like Cole Komet. We really like Albert O. We did not get an elite tight end on this team. There was a lot of interest in that. 
to me, and I think Sean, you were interested as well at the eight, nine, and eleven and ten, eleven turns. But what we end up doing here with Traylon Burks, Rashad Penny, Garrett Wilson, and Romeo Dobbs brings a lot to our build in terms of wide receiver firepower and in terms of that fast start at the RB2 position. And it's a gamble, but the gamble pays off with a guy that you were really excited about in Gerald Everett, where we wind up still, even though we haven't taken a tight end yet, the the point of emphasis for me to make here is we still want to get a good price on one. That doesn't mean you start to reach. Those other tight ends would have been reasonable picks in those spots as well, but we played it to where we're hoping to get the perfect situation where we still get a good price. We can't fix that non-elite tight end situation by reaching for a tight end and and letting that impact the rest of our build at other positions we really pressed our advantage of receiver we got uh a great rb2 which was a nice bet you know benefit detour if you will to add in at 901 and we still get gerald everett at 12 12 i think that's a really key outcome for how well this team could do if what you were just describing with Everett proves to be true I've talked lately, Sean, that I think Albert O is the best upside bet now in this tier. You were just saying that that you think Everett is the best of all of them. Well, Connor keeps me very well informed on developments with kind of our guys. And he messaged me a couple days ago that uh, I believe Austin Eckler, perhaps talking with Matt Harmon, was saying that the Chargers love Gerald Everett. and. Uh, again, you're you're just talking about team sources, you know, teammates saying they like their guys. But when a, a teammate mentions that this person is going to be involved and that person is a former early round pick who's athletic, who has just never quite hit, but now is going to catch passes from Justin Herbert, and you're talking about that price, I am 1,000% on board. Everett... During the course of the draft season, there have been different players who have been my highest exposure, and we always kind of go through these dips and, and rises to where you get different prices and maybe you know someone else rises, someone falls, you stop really drafting somebody because of their price. Gerald Everett has just been that guy throughout the entire season, so he, he's got to be my most rostered player at this point. And you, know, you talk about confirmation bias, so if Austin Eckler says it, and I need it to be true, then I'm going to believe it, but I do think it's a good play. And then I'll do it for the first half of our FFPC main event from the 101. We're going to come back with the second half in part two of the show. We'll also debate some of the players that we selected. We'll go through a few of the other teams, talk about our route to the $1 million grand prize, we're excited for all of that. This has been a really fun start. I'm Sean Stay with me as always is Ben Gretsch. You can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you get signed up to Stealing Signals. Make sure you get signed up for Stealing Lines. Ben and Dalton Cates are going to be on the money for you there with your betting information. And I just think it's going to be really fun to follow how that develops. We'd love to have you guys over at Rotoviz. You can use the coupon code RBRADIO2022 at checkout for a 10% discount on a one-year subscription. I want to thank again everyone who participated in the contest. I'm going to be drafting with a couple of Stealing Bananas slash Rotoviz Overtime fans in the FBG contest this next week. The response to that was overwhelming and just, I mean, it, it made me feel good about being involved with the fantasy community and doing this. In addition to just obviously how much fun it is to do football. So thank you all again for that. If you haven't yet subscribed to the feed, you'll get these when they come out. We'll have a new tempo for you when the season starts. Ben and I can't wait to kind of get together and, and talk about the football games that are actually going on. That's going to be fantastic. If you want to leave us a rating or review, that helps with the algorithm. You guys are the best. We'll talk to you soon.